a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Fantastic. Well, what a morning already. I trust you are just enjoying God's presence and uh, just enjoying him. I can see Jules just marinating down there at the front. Um, It's great. So just want you to really kind of just enjoy his presence. That's what we're mad about. That's what we're nuts for is just his presence and uh, just the the sense of what God has been saying through um, the... um, uh, the worship has just been amazing, and I just want to kind of carry on from that, if I can, if that's all right. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name's Andy, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, leading an eldership team in uh, a church in Horsham, which is very near to Gatwick. Very, if, if you don't know your geography all that well, where, where on earth is Horsham? It's down south. Um, that's for sure, um, but it is uh, just near Gatwick Airport, and uh, it's a, a wonderful church, um, and they'll be gathering and uh, rocking it out right now, probably, um, in, in Horsham, uh, and it's just a, a wonderful place to be, because over the last two or three years, we've kind of just seen um, a breakout of God's presence um, and his spirit amongst us, much like I sense you guys stepping into kind of right now. You know, you're right on the cusp of, of, of something. Um, and uh, from the time we've kind of spent with you this weekend, it's just been fabulous to just kind of be there kind of right at the beginning with you in terms of what God's doing. And uh, that's something we've been living with and, and, and walking through um, in the last kind of two, two and a half years, really. Um, and it's been an incredible time. Um, of just enjoying God and I think you know in terms of the contributions and that that were brought today that that sense of just putting things down and focusing on him and uh, you know I just want to reiterate again that sometimes the things we need to put down are things that are unhelpful that we need to just put down but sometimes the things we need to put down can be what we consider good things but they just get in the way because we become so focused on that thing that we forget that we just want to be with him. We just want to let him be our dad and us be his kids and just enjoy him um, without having to do anything. And so sometimes it's those things we need to put down as well. And, and for some of us, you know, we need to clear our diaries and put things down to allow time to be with him. And, you know, one hopes that the things we've got in our diary aren't terrible things. They're they're good things. They're things that need to be done. But sometimes we just need to put them down um, so we can enjoy him and and kind of just breathe him in and take that time out. And that's why it's been so good just this morning, just to enjoy him as we worship and uh, and just get used to hanging out with God again um, and not trying to fit him into a program but just hanging out um, and just enjoying his company and enjoying him speaking to us and enjoy being able to speak to him. And um, that's why it's been, been so great this weekend over the last sort of few sessions yesterday and, and again today, just to enjoy him because we want to all be around him. Everything we do, we want to be about him and for him. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to kind of just enjoy it. You know church is supposed to be fun, right? As Graham, as Graham told you that, it's supposed to be fun. 
All right, and um, I'm going to declare that it's going to be fun from now on. All right, for you guys, it's, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be the place I can't wait to get to. You know, when we gather, whether that's here, whether that's in in small groups, whatever it is, is being church together is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be cool. It's not supposed to be a slog. Anyone tells you it's a slog, they're lying to you. Okay, it's not supposed to be a slog. It can be a slog. Okay. But actually, God's desire for us is for it to be fun. And, and, and that's certainly kind of been our experience. That doesn't mean we don't have difficult times to work through. It doesn't mean that we're, we're just kind of not real with each other. And we're, we're trying to kind of smile even though our heart is breaking. You know. But actually, that overall sense of church is fun. It's a place I want to be. I want to be part of this community that we call church. And, you know, as we do that, then I'm sure that you will start to step into more and more of what God's got for you. And it's so exciting, isn't it? I love hearing testimonies. Um, and sorry, I forget. the what's, what's your name? The girl that brought the, the word of knowledge for the first time. Where are you? Liz. Liz was so cool last night. And I just kind of just said off the back of what we're doing. If you've never brought a word of knowledge and you want to have a go. Come and have a go. And, and the thing is, is that what, what I'd encourage you to do as people do that is, is celebrate courage. Okay? Celebrate courage together. It's not success as we measure it. Okay? Where's, where's my other friend that did a word of knowledge for the first time? Is he, is he here? Sorry, what's your name? Brad. Okay, Brad. Do, do we know who you prayed for? Janet, was there any healing? There was healing. So come on. There we go. All right. But even if there wasn't, we'd be celebrating. Okay. Because they stepped out in courage. And, and we can't control the success. Because that's totally down to the Holy Spirit. If, if that person is healed or not healed, it's not because of that individual. It's because the Holy Spirit for whatever reason, has chosen in that moment to heal or not to heal. Okay, So there's nothing the person praying, if you like, can do about it. We can have faith, but ultimately it's going to be the Holy Spirit. But actually what we celebrate is courage. We celebrate the act of courage that says, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do it. And so we don't measure success by, did it turn out to be an amazing supernatural healing or not? We celebrate the fact that they stepped out in courage. And so when you've got testimonies to bring, I don't mind if it all went wrong. But if you're standing there said, I had a go then I want you all to go nuts for that person because they had a go. They went out and they stepped out in courage because that's what Father asked us to do, to be bold and courageous. Um, and that's what he asked many people in the Bible to be, bold and courageous and to step out. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been seeing crazy kind of things happening um, at King's as we've been kind of stepping out and doing, doing that kind of stuff, which we, some of it just kind of blows your mind. You, know, you, you just can't find, I haven't got a theological box to kind of put, you know, everything in, you know. So we've been praying um, and some of our youth have been praying and finding their hands covered with gold dust while they've been praying. What's that about? I don't know. We've had kids coming out of our kids' work where the presence of God has come and literally they're just covered across their lips and mouth where they've been praying with gold dust. I don't know what that is. I haven't got a theological box to put it in. All I can tell you is it's a sign that makes me wonder. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that's all it is. I don't know. But it's okay. 
Because I know it's in a context of the presence of God. And, and that's fine. I can live with a bit of mystery in terms of the presence of God. Because once there's no mystery, there is no God. Because I've suddenly become God because there's no mystery. And so we need to be happy with that. But also what we need to do is be, be experiencing our theology. And that's something that we as a church have kind of been stepping out into. Because I think, you know, we're taught well. New Frontiers churches teach well. We have great theology. Um, it's wonderful. You know, what I realized I was lacking was not theology. What I was lacking was an experience of my theology. Um, and that's really kind of where we've been looking to step out and we've seen some amazing healings. We've seen uh, people healed from testicular cancer. You know, we've seen people uh, healed. I've seen legs grow, okay, as we've prayed and we might have a go at that later on. You know, often back pain is caused by one leg being longer than the other um, or by hips being misaligned. Um, and, uh, you know, as we've prayed and people prayed, you can literally see uh, a leg shift um, and come into line and back pain go. It's, it's kind of weird and crazy stuff, but it's really fun. Um, and uh, we, we're enjoying it, you know. We've had angelic encounters. All right, now that might seem a little bit sort of slightly off-piste. But, you know, the early church constantly experienced angelic encounters. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness during that time of temptation, it says that angels came and ministered to him. And if Jesus needed the angels to come and minister to him, then how much more do we need it? You know, and I've had kind of, you know, my, my first kind of angelic encounter was at, um, a prayer and fasting time. And we were just worshipping and the presence of God was there like it, it was this morning here. And I was just kind of there, just enjoying God. And I was like wibbly wobbling. I was all kind of over the place. And afterwards, some guy, a friend of mine, come up to me and he goes, I know I should have been worshipping, but I couldn't take my eyes off you because I felt certain you were going to fall over. Um, and I was going, oh, man, I was just really enjoying the presence of God. I said, but who was the idiot running up and down the aisle? And he said, what? And I said, well, I had my eyes closed, but I could feel this draft keep coming backwards and forwards. And he said, no one was running up and down the aisle. So I'm like, okay. So I'm kind of like looking around thinking, where's the air conditioning duct? Where's the fan? Where's the door open? And there's nothing at all. So I thought, that's weird. Um, didn't think any more about it until I was chatting to my friend, and I'm sure you know him, Julian Adams. And, you know, typical Julian. He goes, oh, yeah, there was an angel running up and down that aisle all through the worship. <laughs> right, okay. Um, and that was my kind of first encounter. And there's been times when there's been like an amazing aroma suddenly appear in the room. Um, and all sorts of crazy stuff. Now, I don't know kind of what box you put that in, how crazy you think I am. If, this, if you've got a crazy box, then I'm probably in it already. Um, you know, but, but as we press into the things of God, then we should begin to experience our theology. So you will have a theology on angels. Herald angels sing. We have great theology on angels, but what's our experience of them? Now, we don't go pursuing them and running after them and, and worshipping them and all that kind of nut, nutty stuff. But we, we, we should be expecting God to move in the same ways that he moved with the early church. And um, we should be kind of giving ourselves to expecting that and not kind of just poo-pooing it and, and putting it to one side and, and that's really kind of what I want to talk about uh, this morning is as you are embarking on this amazing 
journey of the Spirit coming, the presence of God amongst you, is to kind of begin to look at some of the, the, the little foxes that enter the vineyard that can spoil the whole lot. And I want to look at some of those things that come in and cause blockages in these early points in your kind of uh, new church history, because you know you're, you're creating a new church history right now. Okay, as you're accepting the Holy Spirit and you're, you're expecting the presence of God to come, you are beginning a new page, a new chapter in your church history. And as you do that, there will be things that the enemy will look to do to cause you to trip and stumble. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've been there. We've been through some of that stuff. And, um, you know, we need to kind of just be aware of those things and put them down if they're things that we are carrying. And so I want us to kind of look at that. And one of the, one of the big things that, that creeps in in times like this in church life is unbelief. Now, when I talk about unbelief, you may well kind of think, well, I'm looking around, actually, and I know everybody here, so I know there's no non-Christians here. So why on earth are you talking about unbelief? Because obviously they don't believe. You know, those that don't yet know Jesus, they, they don't believe. But actually... I don't want us to limit unbelief to the unbeliever. Okay? So just because you're a believer does not mean unbelief cannot exist in your heart. Okay? And, uh, and that's what I want us to, to look at this morning. So why don't we turn, because otherwise, you know, I'll get into trouble for not being biblical, to the Bible, you know? And, uh, and let's see what the Father will say to us. Mark chapter 6. And verses 1 to 6. He, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Okay, so it's probably a passage we're kind of all familiar with. And Jesus was talking about that unbelief that existed even amongst people that knew him and, and his friends. And although we probably wouldn't actually say, I don't believe that, when someone says something. So if I was kind of talking to you one to one, in the way I've just been talking about stuff, you would be very unlikely, I would suspect, even for you straight-talking Northerners, to go, well, I just don't believe that, Andy. Go boil your head. You know, it's <laughs> unlikely that you're just going to be even that frank. But what we might say are things like, mm, I'm a little bit sceptical. Maybe we'll say that. Or, do you know what, Andy? I'm naturally cynical about these things. Because we're clever like that. You know, we, we kind of camouflage our unbelief um, like that. 
as if scepticism or cynicism are traits to be honoured, as if scepticism or or cynicism are, are not in some way as bad as unbelief. You see, unbelief, cynicism, scepticism are just different flavours of the same poison. Um, and, and that is what we kind of disguise sort of unbelief as. And if you allow them in your heart, and your mouth, then eventually you're going to die, whatever flavour the poison is. And so as I've kind of talked about different things this morning, legs growing, angels, hip shifting, all of that kind of stuff, as I talk that, I can, I can often look out and see people's faces which give people away. It looks like they're sucking on a lemon. And it's just that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. When you hear a story of a, of a testimony of a back-heeled, the cynic, the skeptic, wants to see the x-rays. They want proof. Rather than believe the testimony of the person who's saying, I am pain-free. And that's what we demand proof. And what, what that demand of proof is, is, is a disguise for your unbelief. And I think I've been guilty of that, if I'm honest with you. In the past, as I've kind of been on this journey, there's that, you know, there's that stuff. You hear stories and, and, and you just allow the unbelief to come in. You hear stories of kind of healings and, and miracles And your heart just gets full of cynicism or scepticism about it. It's unbelief. And what happens is that that rock of unbelief comes in and it becomes ingrained in us because actually unbelief is ingrained in our culture. You know, the the sentiment that, well, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe is just ingrained unbelief. I don't believe you is what we're really saying. (laughs) I don't believe you. Um, So I'm going to believe this, but we try and kind of be politically correct. Um, Not anything I know too much about, but apparently we try and be be politically correct. And, and, and well, you know, you can believe that if you want, rather than saying, you fool, that makes no sense. And so unbelief is ingrained in our culture. And um, it's a hard rock to move. And Jesus, in this passage that we've just looked at, had similar trouble in his hometown. But we can't consider our kind of um, 21st century cynicism, skepticism as being in any way okay. It's not okay, because it will restrict what the Holy Spirit can do amongst us. You see, Jesus always encouraged faith, and he responded to it whenever he saw it. He always responded to faith. However, even when he came up against kind of hearts and minds that were cynical and sceptical and full of unbelief, even he was limited in what he could do. When he came up against unbelief, he was restricted. And I can't really kind of get my head around it, how almighty God in the person of Jesus, was limited because of the refusal of others to believe. But that was the case. And if we tolerate it, then we will be left, as the people of that town were, with just a few 
minor healings. And I think if we want to see breakout, we want to be known as cancer-free zones. If we want to be known as those where long-term sickness is a thing of the past, major stuff, then we need to make sure that that rock of unbelief has gone. Because all Jesus could do where there was unbelief was some minor healings. And we're seeing some minor healings. It's great. But there's that step. We're going to move on into looking and identifying unbelief. And so as, as believers, we mustn't think we're immune to it. We mustn't think we're immune to it. And if we do, I think we're probably in denial. Because it's, it's there in all of us in some way, shape or form. And none of us want to be happy with the odd minor healing now and again. I want to see the kingdom of God come in all its power and all its glory and, and people being healed. And so, as Christians, let's think about some things. We, we quote the Great Commission a lot, you know, and, and Jesus gave that commission to his disciples right after he rebuked them for unbelief. Right at the ascension, he's ready to go. His parting words was rebuke them for unbelief, which was he, he rebuked them for not believing the testimony of the women who went to find him risen. When they came back, they refused to believe them, people they knew, people they trusted, people they loved. And Jesus rebuked their unbelief before he then gave them the great commission. And this is a huge wake-up call for us as church together in considering what the Holy Spirit has begun to do amongst you. What you're starting to see happening before your very eyes. It's a, it's a wake-up call moment. And that song that Izzy bought was just kind of, it, I was undone. Um, just in that sense of, come on, put it down. Put it down. Let's put down cynicism. Let's put down skepticism. Let's put down unbelief. And this is an amazing kind of moment in time as you're enjoying the manifest presence of God you'll find yourself where the miraculous is breaking through where the kind of not yet of the kingdom is starting to break out into the now and that's what we're experiencing where stuff that we've always put out there as well you know we know the kingdom's now and not yet so what we do with that is we allow our unbelief to push everything into the not yet we maintain our theological box and actually, what we're seeing here is Jesus going, no, 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 no. Let's get rid of unbelief, and then we can bring the not yet of the kingdom into the now, rather than pushing the now stuff into the not yet. And so, we're in that moment. And we are confusing people, I think, as human beings. Because we have an amazing capacity to contain in our hearts both belief and unbelief, at the same time. Guys, you think women are confusing. <laughs> this is confusing. How do we hold belief and unbelief in our hearts at the same time? And, and we read a story in the New Testament about a man who um, Jesus kind of, uh, or they want, he wants Jesus to heal, heal his son. And the disciples kind of have a crack and uh, they can't heal him. And so the son comes to Jesus, wanting Jesus to heal him. So his heart is full of belief. 
He's brought him to Jesus, believing that Jesus can heal his son. Yet, if you read the passage, you'll read that, that uh, the man comes to Jesus and says, if you can heal him. So he's brought his son to Jesus because he believes he can heal him. Yet he says, if you can heal him. And Jesus replies, if I can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And that's what we want to see, don't we? We want to we wanna see that. We want to see that everything is possible. We want the, the impossible becoming possible. And yet the father of this boy responds in the way that many of us do. And, and, and I think many of us need to learn to do. Which is that whole sense of saying, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And that is what I believe father is kind of saying to us. And I think if our minds are allowed to change, so we begin to hear, hear these stories of healing and testimonies, and I'd encourage you to keep doing it. Keep bugging Graham and the guys. I've got a story. Let me tell my story. I'll give you a tip. If you want to be able to tell more stories, he's not listening, it's all right. Keep him to three minutes or under, and, it, and he'll ask you again. Just a little tip, all right? Just a little tip. And so we want to hear those stories because what those stories do for us, it says, I believe, but keep helping me with my unbelief. And the more of those stories we hear, the more our unbelief gets helped. And that's why it's so encouraging. But, you know, unbelief can affect us in so many ways. And it's something we don't talk about too much in church with regard to believers. It affects us. In so many ways, because none of us are immune. And so here's some of the ways I think that unbelief can affect us. Number one, it breaks us off from God's plan for us. It breaks us off from God's plan for us. And you can read about that in Romans eleven twenty. It stops us from fully entering the rest of God. Very hard to rest if you're in unbelief. It causes us to fall away in part or completely. It causes us to fall away from God. It acts as spiritual poison. I mentioned that already. Unbelief can defile our conscience. Titus 1.15. I'll tell you that can defile our conscience. Now, I think sometimes we get a little bit carried away with our conscience as Christians. Because we say, oh, I couldn't do that in all good consciousness. My conscience won't allow it. But Paul says, just because my conscience is clear, it doesn't make me innocent. You come across that verse, Corinthians. And so, actually, what we find is unbelief can defile our conscience to the point where we think we're doing what our conscience won't allow us, but actually it's just unbelief. We need to be careful of that. Actually, unbelief can affect an entire region or a location. And we just read that. So that entire village was affected by unbelief. And then finally, it limits the power of God, not only over my life, but also over the lives of those I love. 
it's a big deal. And probably could do a whole sermon series on each one of those points. I won't try and do that now. You'll be pleased to know. But suffice to say that unbelief is a, is a poison. It's the fox that gets in the vineyard that begins to kind of break down and infiltrate our own hearts. It infiltrates our ability to walk fully with the power of God. And it limits God's power. It can affect the atmosphere in a room. Now, are you guys comfortable with me talking about atmospheres? Because some people get a little bit uncomfortable. Let me help you with that if you do get a bit uncomfortable with it. Okay? If you've all done it, you've all been in a room, you've got friends, mates coming round, and she comes in. <laughs> and you turn and you go, did you notice when she came in? You could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. I'm sure you've never said that. Because okay? Graham's told me great things about you. But, but you've heard someone else say it, right? You've got a friend, yeah? You've got a friend. <laughs> Who said that? Okay. You've used that language. Is that okay? It's normal. So when a person enters a room, they have the ability to change the atmosphere. So the Holy Spirit is a person, right? And when he enters the room, he can shift the atmosphere. And that's all we mean. So don't kind of get caught up. Ooh, the Holy Spirit's a person, Andy. He's not an atmosphere. I know he's not an atmosphere. But he changes the atmosphere when he comes in the room. Okay, so it can change the atmosphere because our unbelief will prevent him coming in the room. That will shift an atmosphere, it will change an atmosphere. And so, you know, as I've thought about this talk, as I've kind of prepared this talk and I've given this talk, there's that whole sense in me that kind of begins to well up, think, I'm not immune. I'm not immune from this. None of us are immune. But as I've pondered the subject, as I've learned what forms unbelief can take, I've found that there are rocks actually in my life of unbelief that I needed to shift. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read out some things off of a list. And I want to ask you if you identify with any of them. Honestly, it's rhetorical. All right. So you don't have to put your hand up and say, I'm thinking this or that. But ask yourself, is there anything here that I identify with okay the first one i find myself disappointed and let down by god when he doesn't seem to work or answer my prayers as i believe he should just think about that honestly when i hear of others experiences of god's presence or power my default response is cynical and i often try to analyze minimize or disprove their claim Others call me critical, but I feel they are naive and I am discerning. <laughs> I first perceive situations as impossible rather than possible with God. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me in that way. I'm reluctant to receive prayer because it hasn't worked before. I think that my situation 
My sin, my fears, my dot, 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 whatever it is, fill in the blank, will never change. I have a tendency to worry and have anxiety and fear about many things. I often control people and situations because I'm afraid to let go and trust God even when I know I should. Now, as I went through that list, I found it quite startling as I was being honest with myself. And it's amazing how unbelief can be so ingrained in us. And if we don't recognize it, we'll continue into unbelief. How many of those statements did you recognize in your own life and heart? And that's rhetorical. For me, they were far more than I expected and there'd be far more than I'd want to admit. The truth is that unbelief actually is quite rampant in the church. And like the father in that story, we need to look to change and become ready to say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And I think as Christians, we need to address our own unbelief and deal with it, be willing to put it down. And there are a few kind of gateways, if you like, I think, to unbelief. A few gateways in which we let unbelief kind of come in. Um, And uh, as I say, we're only going to skim the surface um, on this this morning. But I would encourage you, there's some great books out there. um, Sustainable Power by Simon Holly will be one of those that kind of address some of these things in a little bit more detail. Um, But there are many ways that unbelief can kind of wiggle its way into our lives and I think it's helpful sometimes just to review some of those ways some of those key ways where unbelief wriggles in we read in this passage right at the beginning when Jesus was limited in the miracles that he could do I don't know if you noticed what the reason was once they realized who it was it says they took offense at him they took offense at him he was just a carpenter's son And actually, we can so easily take offense at God when we don't like what he's doing or how he's doing it. So maybe that we're okay with what he's doing, we're just not happy with how he's doing it. And the most often way we take offense at God in that context is when we don't like the delivery mechanism that he's using. And so when someone comes to the front and they bring something, we just go, well, she's not living right. How can God possibly be bringing something to the church through her? And he, well, he, he, man, he's, you know, he's fiddling his expenses at work. You know, and we become offended at the mechanism that God's using as if you are in some way perfect it just happens that you know their areas of weaknesses how would you feel when you're bringing your stuff if before it you shared your areas of weakness and then let people decide whether they like the delivery mechanism and what we do is we take offense at God why are you using them 
And more often than not, it means, why aren't you using me? Because I'm better than them. That's the truth. I know you wouldn't say it out loud. But that's kind of what happens. And then what we do is we begin to take offense at God. And that's what happened with the people in the story, with Jesus. They didn't like the delivery mechanism. He's just the carpenter's son. We've got his bratty brothers and sisters like hanging around. And how can it possibly be God? How can this possibly be? We, we, we see the miracles. We hear the wisdom. But we can't accept it. We're going to allow unbelief to come in because we're offended at the delivery mechanism that God's chosen. And that, that happens in church, trust me. And you know it does because you're all very quiet. So I can tell. And my encouragement to you as a church today is root out any offence that you've taken. Root out any offence that you've taken because the leaders haven't done the things the way you think they should have been done. Root out offence where God's brought something but you didn't like the mechanism that he used. Let me tell you, explain something to you. Offence is always taken. It's never given. It's never given. You, it's you. You take offence. It's your choice. You choose it. And so we need to recognise that and get rid of it. Otherwise, it can lead to unbelief. Another way, and God's touched on this across this weekend already, and we've heard testimony of it, is that unbelief can creep in. is through disappointment with God. Maybe we wouldn't be so strong as to say we're offended with God, but we're disappointed with him. And that disappointment can very easily turn into unbelief. We become disappointed with God when he feels he's not dealt with us as he has with others. When we start to play, it's the it's not fair card. It's not fair that I'm doing my best to live well and he's sinning left and right, yet he seems to be being blessed and promoted all the time and no one even notices me. How does that work out for you? We can become disappointed because our prayers have not been answered or they've not been answered the way we hoped or expected them to. Maybe we have try to be courageous and pray for someone who's sick and they've got worse. And so we feel, actually, I can't any longer pray for healing because I prayed for that person and instead of getting better, they got worse. And what we've done is saying, I'm not going to pray anymore is we just allow unbelief to come in because we're disappointed with God. Another way unbelief can come in is refusing to believe the witness of others. So when we hear a testimony or a story, we think, oh, yeah, right. Sure thing. Of course. You know. We can just refuse. And Jesus, you'll find, rebuked his disciples loads, but only over unbelief. Jesus was encouraging and and, and loving and caring, but where he rebuked them was when unbelief crept in. He rebuked them because they refused to accept the witness of the women 
who'd seen Jesus risen. And he rebuked that. And in their culture, the disciples, you know, the women's testimony was considered unreliable. Graham's going to unpack that for you next week. But, <laughs> but that was how their culture was formed. But the disciples knew these women. They knew them. They, they were worshipping with them. They were part of kind of Jesus' entourage as they travelled together. They, they knew them, but they still refused to believe their testimony. And Jesus rebuked them for it. And because of all that God's beginning to do amongst you right now, I would encourage you. Make room for God's stories. Make room for testimonies. And if you haven't got any, then borrow someone else's. It's okay. It's okay. Stir yourself with what's going on elsewhere because it's still a testimony. And it's still, as Juliet says, the root word that that comes from is to repeat, to do again. And, uh, you know, I can tell you stories of where I've prayed for someone's leg to grow. Um, and then I've told that story and then... In that context, I said, well, I've got a bad back and boom, faith's there. Legs grow again, strangely. And then you tell that story and then it keeps going. And so we need to kind of press in to that. But you need to receive the testimony of others with faith. And not with unbelief. And we can kind of say, oh, they're attention seeking. You know, oh, it's them again. You know, they're attention seeking. And, and, and but what are they doing? You know, they're telling, maybe they're telling the same old story again and again. You know, whatever it happens to be. But Paul says this, doesn't he, to the church in Philippi. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from attention-seeking motives, false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And so even if there are those, I'm sure you don't have any in this church, but, you know, that you know, attention seeking again. Paul says, what does it matter? If Christ is being honoured. What does it matter? I rejoice. I rejoice. Better be rejoicing over Jesus doing something that comes from a false motive than to allow unbelief to creep in and then get rebuked by Jesus. That would be my advice. Finally, another way unbelief can come in, and I think it's rife in our culture, and I think it's really rife amongst men, and that's mockery. Unbelief creeps in through mockery. And King David says this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. That's not a mocker that you get in Costas, by the way. I'm just saying. Someone who mocks. And actually, that's quite a challenge for me personally. Um, and uh, I think it's very much in our culture amongst men, as I've said. You know, one of the number one forms of communication amongst men is kind of banter and mockery. 
taking a mickey out of one another. Yet David, a man after God's own heart, said it's wise to avoid mockers and mockery. Often this comes from a lack of identity. We're insecure in who we are. And we kind of think, well, if everybody thinks I'm funny, if everybody thinks, yeah, go on, Andy, that's really cool, you know, suddenly it's because I'm insecure in who I am. I want to be accepted. I want to be liked. And so I do that often at the expense of others. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with humor. I love, I love a good laugh. I love, I love humor. Um, I love being funny. But often it, it can become kind of, it, it turns into mockery. And then what happens is unbelief just creeps in. really does. It's all too easy to mock the negative rather than rejoice in the positive. It's all too easy to see the negatives long before, if ever, we see the positives. It's all too easy to point out the foolish or the shameful rather than to pan for gold of the good and the positive and the honorable. It's just easy. It's quick, isn't it? It's easy to go, you know, rather than to just kind of wait a minute and think, where's the good there? Where's the thing I can honor? Where's the thing I can respect? Where's the thing I can declare goodness over? Um, Rather than just looking to kind of mock. And um, when we do that, the the kind of uh, unbelief just creeps in. And the final thing really is cynicism. We talked about that already. You know, it's easy to take that position. They're not really healed. It probably won't last. It's all just attention-seeking. And we can allow that to creep in, in cynicism. And for many of us, we go, oh, I don't want to be naive. I don't want to be silly, you know, and that's what we use. And so we kind of go to the extreme of cynicism in order to kind of combat them, that. But I think it's really important in all of these things that we recognize that unbelief can creep in and begin to limit what God is doing amongst us. You know, I trust even as we went through that list and you kind of thought about those, those questions, you can see actually unbelief creeps in to our heart quite easily. Now, I also want to say that, you know, when we hear something that seems implausible, so when I hear something that seems implausible to me, you know, I'm still keen to investigate it. I'm still keen to kind of research it and find the truth. I'm simply not accepting absolutely anything just because someone who claims to be a Christian has said it. But I want to do that. I want to investigate. I want to find out about it in a way that honors rather than tears down. And equally, I must look to recognize unbelief in my heart as I'm doing it. So, you know, we don't want to just like look like we come up on a banana boat and just kind of don't know what's going on really, but if you say so, whatever. You know, we, we want to investigate those things, but we investigate them with a heart that's looking to honor and find the good in it rather than from an attitude that's looking to tear down and be cynical about it. So we don't just accept everything because someone who thinks they're a Christian or says they're a Christian has said it. And so, you know, we need to then step into, well, what do we do about it? What are we going to do about this unbelief that's kind of creeping in? And the first thing that we're doing, we're doing it now, is recognize it. (laughs) Recognize it exists. Recognize that there is unbelief that kind of creeps in. 
And there's a story in the Bible that kind of Jesus, uh, of Jesus looking to heal Jairus' daughter. Do you remember that, that story? And um, basically the story is this guy comes, his daughter's very sick. He says to Jesus, will you come and heal my daughter? Um, and Jesus says, yes, I will. Um, but he gets kind of sidetracked on the way. Um, and other things come up. And so by the time he's then eventually getting to go to the house, the messenger comes back to say that you're, to, to judge your daughter is dead. Don't bother kind of Jesus anymore. And Jesus overhears what they're saying to him. And he says this in Mark 5, verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Okay, don't fear, only believe. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll find out that Jesus raises the girl from the dead. But I want to focus on the words that Jesus uses here. Don't be afraid, don't doubt, only believe. What that tells us is you have a choice. Unbelief is a choice and belief is a choice. If it wasn't a choice, Jesus couldn't and wouldn't have said that. He couldn't have said, don't fear, only believe, if the guy had no way of doing that. It was a choice that he made. And so we need to recognize that doubting that creeps in, we can choose to reject it and choose to believe when that starts to happen. Don't doubt, only believe. So that's one way that we can look to kind of overcome and deal with unbelief. The other way is ask for help. You know, if you're struggling with stuff, you know, if you're struggling with stuff after today, go and find someone to talk to, someone that you can trust, and just go, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's okay to do that. It's really, really okay to do that. And that's an important thing is we have that choice, but also we have that thing that just recognizes that as a human being, we have the ability to hold belief and unbelief in our heart at the same time. So by saying, thinking, I'm going to go and admit that, you know, I'm struggling with unbelief. It doesn't mean that you don't believe anything anymore and you're probably not a Christian and all of that. Kind of, that's rubbish. It's just that in this particular area, whether it's with the supernatural, whether it's with the tangible manifest presence of God, whether it's whatever it is, miracles, gold dust, angelic visitations, whatever it is that I've said that you've gone, whoa, it's fine. You can say, okay, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Find someone that can come alongside you and help you. It's okay to do that. The other thing is begin to hear with faith. Don't just listen to testimonies and, and think, okay, it's like, you know, it's like the shampoo commercials in between the meat of the show that I'm watching. You know, and so we've had an amazing time of worship. That's great. Now the commercials. So we've got some commercials for healing uh, in the kingdom. Yeah, so we've got that one. That's great. And uh, then quickly, all the offering. We want the offering and we'll get that in. Um, so this you know, sales and marketing, all, all fine and well in church life. Um, it's all happening okay. And now we're going to have a commercial uh, for, for the Alpha course. We want the Christians to be involved. And that's right now. Now we're back to the show. The sermon. Sermon's coming. Okay. We don't, we, 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 it's all the meat of the kingdom. It's all the meat of the kingdom. And it's all what we want to, we want to put our faith. Shut up, you lot. Without, what are they like? I'll bring them along and cause me problems. 
always, but we've got this whole sense of the fact that actually this is all what God wants us to stir with faith. He wants us to mix faith as we worship, knowing that he is who he is. And when the stories come and the testimonies come and the provocation comes to, I don't know, bring people an alpha, whatever it is, let's mix it with faith. And then when the sermon comes, listen with faith. And if there's stuff you're struggling with, say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. It's okay. And we need to hear with faith. And the danger with all of this and some of the things I've said is, is that danger for us is, is that we judge and we back off. And so you hear stories of weirdness and wackiness that you've not heard before. And what you can do is you can then judge and back off. Say, they're lying. They're an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. You're northerners. I'm expecting you to be quite straightforward, okay? So, you know, that, that's what they like. So I'm now going to back off. I'm having nothing to do with it. And we back off and we miss the blessing that God is looking to pour out on us. It's not our job to judge. Just because someone has made a mistake, fallen from grace, call it what you will. It doesn't mean that everything they ever said or did before that point was wrong, in error, sinful, and not of God. You've only got to read the story of King David to know that. It's not our job to judge in that sense. What we tend to do as Christians, and what we're brilliant at, is we see extremes, don't we? So we see extremes. Um, Maybe we see extremes in kind of uh, relationships or sexuality, and we see extremes. And so what we do is we think, whoa, that's a little bit far out. On that side. So what we're going to do in the name of balance is we're going to swing out on this opposite extreme over here in the name of balance. And I believe that's where as church, and I mean the global church, we have been in error. Because what we fail to do is hold the radical line of the biblical middle. And as society has swung to one extreme or another, we're not to swing to the opposite extreme in the name of balance. We're to hold the line of the radical middle. That's all. So we don't judge. We don't do those things. But we just hold the line. What does God say? How do we live? What do we do? We don't suddenly swing out with just equally violent opposition. We hold the line of the radical middle together. And that's what's really important. And I think sometimes all of this stuff, if there's stuff going on in our heart, we just need to repent. You know, he's quick to forgive, well able. And he's quick to come. If we recognize this stuff in our lives, then we we just need to repent. Because he is a good, good father. You know, he's such a good father. And he wants to lavish himself on you as a church. He wants to lavish himself on you as individuals. He wants to pour out everything he has for you in heaven right now. But there are things that will block that progress. Just as it blocked Jesus, he was unable to do any major miracles amongst them because of their unbelief. And if if you're going to step into, if we're going to step into this incredible outpouring of his presence, of his spirit that is coming and sweeping across churches in this nation. If we want to be part of that, then we want to remove anything that's going to limit what that looks like in our own lives and in our church 
as well, I trust. And so what I, I want us to do now is, Graham, if you want to kind of come up and, and, and play some keys, we're just going to kind of wait on God and we're going we're gonna to see what happens. I want to give opportunity for people to respond. Um, I want to give opportunity for uh, the prophetic to come and flow. Um, words of knowledge to, to come and, and just ask you, you know, just be open to responding to encountering him. We've got bags of time. Um, we're in no rush. If you have to go, that's absolutely fine. But let's just kind of wait on him. Let's just listen to him. And if there's things, and I'll give you opportunity, you know, as I've spoken, if you kind of recognized areas of unbelief in your own heart and you need to repent, then I'll ask you to do that. You do that where you are. If you want us to stand with you and anyone to pray with you, then just come down the front. Don't be bashful. Just come and uh, me or the team will, will pray with you. Now, if there's things that you're battling with, if it's that, I believe. <laughs> Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Um, that's right. Let's just wait for the peace of God to come back to you. Do you know, one of the most helpful, unhelpful images of the Holy Spirit sometimes is the fact that he comes as a dove, because if he was here as a dove, he'd have gone by now. <laughs> He's off, but he's not that skittish, so it's okay. All right, he's still here. But just encourage you, just continue to engage with what Father's doing and, and just listen. So why don't we stand and um, we'll just wait on him a minute. Okay, don't be scared of quietness or silence. Let's just wait on him a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us, Lord. Father, thank you that you have an abundance of goodness and wealth of encounter, Lord, lined up for us, Lord. And we just want to say, Lord, help us remove anything that would prevent you coming in the way that you planned. Lord, we, we want so much to be the people that you've destined us to be. We want so much, Lord, to step into our full inheritance as sons and daughters. Lord, we don't want anything to block that. We don't want anything to prevent that. wonder if there's some you just want to come down the front right now if there's something you kind of identified with you felt the holy spirit kind of put a finger on as i've been speaking why don't you come down we'd love to pray with you just right on the off if there's something you kind of thought yeah i can be a bit like that but i don't want anything to kind of come and rob me of my inheritance of what god has for me then just encourage you, come down, respond. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.